Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Love, relationships, and purpose. These are just a few of the things I'm going to be talking to Kev Hicks about in this episode. So excited to have this YouTube voice, this man that just holds so much wisdom, is influencing so many people out there in the world to really look at themselves and to make the bigger change in who they are and who they are showing up as in this world. And tonight, we talk about the things that help us show up as the best version of ourselves and to really help share that and inspire other people to do the same. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. I'm so thrilled to have you here and so great to connect with you again. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. We were talking a little bit before the show about how even though you've got your day job, you're busier now than ever with your private clients. Yeah. Tell me what you're finding. What are people worried about? And tell me, what are you doing or what, what is your advice to them during these challenging times? I'm encountering people who are either stuck with their spouses. <laughs> you know, no one really expected anything like this to happen. It hasn't happened in a lifetime. And so I'm encountering people who are either stuck with the spouses that maybe they didn't realize that they didn't have enough of a base you know, built, they didn't have enough of uh, the tools built. And I'm also encountering people who I thought they had uh, great relationships who were encountering a, a bit of neglect. You know, they thought that maybe the, the connection would be stronger. Maybe they can, their spouses would be more, um, just more uh, intentional about staying connected to them and they're, they're experiencing a fair amount of disappointment uh, with that. And, um, and then I'm experiencing the extremes of online dating and the desperation that people have to take advantage of what they believe is the opportunity for easy access to women and relationships. And so you have these guys that are trying to go from lonely house to lonely house of single woman after single woman because they think that no one's there. She's mu- She must be desperate. Her standards must be lower. So I'm getting it all. I'm getting all sorts of wacky behavior these pandemics and, and tragedies in, in the community seem to bring out the worst and sometimes the best in people, but the worst is, is actually on full display at the moment. I think it's really true that in relationships, when we don't have a lot of exits, it feels really different, right? And when right. we're distracted with our lives and we're going to work and we've got kids and we've got so many distractions, those things that may not be right in the relationship aren't coming up. We're able to ignore them. And I'm hearing you say now we're not. Yeah. You know, I mean, day to day, think about how many things that you have to accomplish, how many things that you have to encounter uh, just to manage and function in normal life. The minutia, while we seem to despise it because the minutia actually saves most of us from really taking advantage of opportunities and, and really seeing opportunities to tackle the issues that we have in our lives and in our relationships. So for a lot of people, 
they've had, again, relationships built on sand, you know, and they're realizing that they don't have the ground to stand on. They don't have the stability that they thought. And, you know, for a lot of people, everyone's taking advantage, or at least if you ask Instagram, everyone's taking advantage of the opportunity uh, to grow and, and, you know, and self-educate and, and do all of these things to evolve and come out of this a bigger, better, stronger person. Uh, but under the surface, most people are realizing they're a lot more handicapped than they thought they were. And that minutia state saved them and saved their perceptions of themselves because usually there's some outside force. There's something that's, that's stopping us that we can always point to. Uh, for those of us who are at home and, and spending a lot of time with ourselves, we're realizing that there's no one else to blame and we need to do some work. So tell me, what are you encouraging people to do, Kev? The people that are, are realizing like, wow, I didn't know that I wasn't comfortable with myself or I didn't know that my relationship wasn't intact the way I thought it was. You know, I'm an introvert, uh, a really severe introvert, actually. People think because I'm an influencer that somehow or another, I just love talking and love people. While I like sharing, uh, you know, ideas, I'm not really a person who draws my energy from others, and I need to go off and be alone. And so I'm, I'm encouraging people to to take advantage of the time that they have to be alone, whether they be introverts or, or extroverts or, or omniverts. I think that's the other questionable term, but I'm just telling them to take advantage of the time and the quiet to really analyze their decisions, the effort that they put into the things that they are passionate about and the things that they uh, wish they were accomplishing for themselves, getting closer to the idea of being who they want to be, that person they want to be. A lot of us have an idea of this this grand version of ourselves, and we understand that we're not there, and everyone will, will tell you the first thing they say is, well, no one's perfect. I think that's the fa- most famous American quote there is. No one's perfect because that's our excuse to, to not be better. And I don't think we need to be perfect. But in this opportunity, we definitely need to take it and try to be better than what we were. So that quiet time, that alone time gives us time to reflect. Um, and so I've been encouraging people to do that and start those projects and start those things that they were, they were meaning to start that they always told themselves they were too busy to. I, I've always wanted to really master meditation. I have a couple of clients who are world-renowned meditation experts, way more qualified and way more smart than I am in some of these ways. And, you know, I, I, if I had the stillness that some people had right now, I'd be meditating four hours a day just because I've always wanted to be that guy, the Zen guy, right? And so for, for the clients I've had that, that have needed the quiet, needed the peace and are getting it, you know, we're all going to be fearful. We have our worries. But there's an opportunity here to really get in touch with yourself, really ground and center your spirit, really focus your energy on things that are are really important, things that really matter. The part of you that you can't escape, that work won't allow you to escape, that relationships or or medicating yourself for relationships and and partying or hobbies won't allow you to escape. This is a a very interesting time, and I think it's a, a great opportunity. And I told somebody on Facebook just 20 minutes ago, he said, I lost my job today but guy's still good. This guy used to take me to church when we were uh, in high school. He was always the nicest, happiest, most faithful person around. And, you know, I just told him, I said, you know, you're right. Absolutely. But don't miss this opportunity. There's opportunity here. Don't miss this opportunity. He may get it. He may not, you know, everybody comments, oh, it's going to be better. You know how people do, but I always see opportunity and loss. And I think that that's something that people should really uh, grab hold on because it's always served me very well to see, uh, see everything like that. I couldn't agree with you more. I think we are a culture that 
has just had so much instant gratification and so much distraction that we've forgotten how to be with ourselves. Mm. And like you said, to just have that internal time of reflection and meditation to really figure out who we are beyond the distraction. Yeah. So what a powerful thing, you know, in, encouraging people to do that. And when I think about the couples too, you know, Harville Hendricks, who was kind of the big relationship guru before John Gottman, you know, one of the things he would talk about is in relationship, we have to learn how to close our exits. And it's not that we can't have hobbies or we can't be interested in physical fitness or have outside friends, but it's that we don't have so much of our energy exiting the relationship that we miss it. That's profound. I like that. So tell me a little bit more about, you talked about the people that are struggling and it's true. I mean, people, how do you online date during a pandemic? <laughs> I've done a few videos uh, about online dating in the le- in the last couple of days. Even though I find myself busier, I've I've committed myself to trying to do uh, daily content for the last for these thirty days, and, um, the last few days, and for the next twenty seven days, I've I've committed myself to daily content. So I've been releasing a video a day. I'm on my fourth day, fourth video. I've actually never done this before. I've never done more than two videos in a week. Uh, let alone back-to-back-to-back videos. So I'm going to do 30 videos in a row. And if that works out and if I can get a, make a habit out of it, I'll do 60. I've committed myself to trying to figure out how I can be better and how I can build. But the funny thing about it is the four I've done so far and, and many of the next seven that I've written, they have a lot to do with people's experiences, online dating and how they've evolved uh, and gotten a little bit more cumbersome just in this, in this period that we're living in. Apparently, inappropriate behavior is at an all-time high because what else does someone have to lose that's sitting in their living room, you know, sexually repressed and, you know, needing a little bit of validation. These guys are sending these pictures to these women and, and, and sexting is up and, you know, uh, very disrespectful, blatant, intrusive in advances. I mean, these guys might as well be men flashing you in a, in a trench coat in the park somewhere. The, the way that we're seeing the predatory nature of, of many men who you might walk past and not realize is an absolute creep. The creeps are out, right? And they, you know, I remember the song, The Freaks Come Out at Night. Yeah. The, the creeps come out in a pandemic, if that was a song, because <laughs> they're everywhere. And so um, I'm just trying to help women navigate the, the different type of desperation that they might see from certain personality types. Uh, certain narcissistic personality types are at an all-time display right now just because what else do they have to lose, right? They've already been deprived most of the validation that they get day-to-day, uh, week-to-week. Most of the things that we give our, our bodies to, to satiate themselves, we can't do, right? So people are in a, in a period of almost starvation, a carnal starvation, a physical, they're going through like a physical withdrawal of all the things that they give themselves, right? And, and so it's a very interesting time for dating. But again, for the people who, who need that, that validation from partying or social activities or, you know, frivolous sexual encounters, it's, it's everywhere. I've been encouraging people to take advantage um, of, of the opportunity to just get in touch with themselves and take inventory of who they've been, uh, who they wish to be, the, the responsibilities that they have to themselves and, and the role they played in the life they've had and the experiences they've had and the relationships they've had. And, and sometimes it just takes that quiet time. Sometimes it takes a notebook. You know, I'm a fan of the a good old fashioned notebook. 
I think a lot can be accomplished when you have to sit on a, on a, on your bottom and write down the things that have happened to you and the things that you've contributed to. And so I, I still have a lot of my clients get it. They have a notebook and they write when we're on the phone, they take notes. But when I get off of that phone, they have homework assignments that have a lot to do with self-reflection and just taking inventory. And like I said, you can imagine a thing about yourself because that when you're not dealing with specifics, you really don't have to take responsibility. But when you start looking at the specifics, when you get into the details of it all, you see most of your mistakes a lot more clearly. Even if you don't need me anymore because you've got the clarity, I don't care if they need me. I care that they get the clarity. And sometimes you can't run from the facts. And so I encourage them all to sit down with a piece of paper, write down the facts about yourself that you love, the facts about yourself that you hate, the things that you can improve, right? Because I don't care that, you know, none of us are perfect we can all be better. Right. And we don't need, we don't need easy for that. We just need possible. And so uh, many of us like to assume that it's harder than it is, or it's more impossible than it is. Most of the time, if I challenge somebody to improve or, or to be better, they would tell me, well, you don't understand. It's hard. You don't understand how hard it is. Well, it's not impossible. Right. Because if it was impossible, that would be your excuse. Right. So yes, it's hard. Yes. It's difficult but you can only get as high as you're willing to fail or fall from, right? So for me, I've learned from, you know, I don't know, I've maybe read some books. I've I've, I've probably looked at some Google quotes. Uh, A few celebrities may have said it. I don't know where I got it at this point, but I fall forward and I like to fail forward. And I'm encouraging people to, to, if you got to get to a low place and looking at who you are, what you've done, how you've gotten there, if it'll pull you out of that place and put some responsibility on your shoulders and make you realize even as a person who was underperforming, who was not even trying, who was aimless in all the decisions, if you start right here, right now and commit to to doing the things that you should have been doing, being the person that you've always wanted to be, you can have a different life. And I think that we have, again, a great opportunity here to come out of this stronger as people, stronger as a nation, uh, but stronger as individuals, spiritually, emotionally, energetically, vibrationally. You know, we have an opportunity to, if we are in relationships, to really, really draw down on the intimacy that we're lacking, the connections and the vulnerabilities that we're lacking. You know, people say so much about relationships dying because of a lack of communication, but it's never really been that simple. Communication has never been as simple as calling it out like that. Communication is when your vulnerability lapses and you don't know if you can trust each other with your innermost thoughts, your fears, your anxieties, uh, the things that you're terrified about, you know, the the things that you want and wish for for one another, but also from one another, uh, those things matter. And we get away from those things because generally we lose hope in the fact that, uh, first of all, we're on a journey and therefore our partners may be on a similar journey. And when two people don't have a plan together and they don't have a purpose together, a shared purpose, they grow in different directions often. And so once you start growing in different directions, it's very difficult to regain that intimacy and that vulnerability because you don't feel as familiar to each other as you once, as you once did. As funny as it sounds, a person can get like that with themselves. You know, we play a character every day, every day we go out and we're the professional, we're the great guy, we're the, we're the really nice girl we have all these things and all these expectations that, that we place on ourselves. And because we get, we get very complacent in understanding that, well, if people like me, I'll have an easier time. But if we don't like us, the time is not as easy as we would hope. And generally, 
our characters kind of run away with us. We become a caricature of ourselves if we don't really pay attention and make sure we're checking ourselves and making sure that we're being genuine in what we offer the world. But first of all, offer ourselves. And so, you know, you take those those issues and those layers and you add those to a relationship. Two people who are being genuine with themselves and then have issues and have goals and fears and anxiety and ambitions, uh, trying to meet in the middle and be great together with no aim, no plan, no blueprint. We get ourselves tied in the knot pretty quickly. And so when people say, well, relationships fail as a result of a, you know, a lack of communication, I wish it was as simple as people just having a conversation. It's not. Uh, man, those fears and those anxieties, those vulnerabilities, that lack of intimacy, it compounds. And yeah, we can come together, you know, physically. We can always figure that out. Most people can. But hell, even people who are coming together physically at some point lose each other. There are certain physical conversations about the sexuality in a relationship that people just are too terrified to have just because they've lost that connection and they don't feel like one anymore. They feel like two separate entities living amongst each other, like roommates who, who happen to make love from time to time. And so there are a lot of issues I'm watching and, I, and, I'm, and I'm witnessing in these relationships and I'm trying to coach people through them. I'm trying to coach people back to the center for the couples that I coach. But, but above all else, I just want people to come out of this more healthy, more whole. It's a great opportunity, like I said, and if they take advantage of that opportunity, then this pandemic or, or anything else that comes for that matter won't be able to stop them from growth. And that's my only hope for my clients and anybody else's growth, growth and evolution and, and ultimately joy and contentment and peace and happiness. Those are the things that move me. Uh, and I would hope that they start to move other people in, in a more stronger direction. I resonate so much with so many things you just said. I think one of the things that, that you spoke of with our growth edge, I always say our growth edge is never comfortable when people are saying, this is hard, this is hard work. And people are saying, well, relationships are hard. Well, being single is hard. You know, I always say it doesn't matter what place you're coming from. When we grow, sometimes it's tough. That growth edge is never comfortable. Right. So it's leaning into that discomfort. And right now, a lot of that discomfort that I'm hearing is when people are having to be alone or people are having to be with a partner and mm -hmm. they don't have a common vision or they're not in touch with themselves. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate your wisdom and your encouragement for people to really dig down deep. I and it's within that. themselves. It's having a self vision. Yeah. And I think having a joint vision with your partner, no matter where you're at in that relationship, mm -hmm. if you've been together two months or you've been together two years, right? you know, right. what do we want this to look like? What's important for us? I think um, for two people to stay together, they ha like you said, they have to have a vision. They have to have a shared purpose. They have to have a goal. Uh, men in particular need a purpose. They need, they need some kind of responsibility. Right. And it's not even about gender roles as much as it's about instinct. Right. Those who have made use of themselves and feel compelled and responsible for the other party in some way that tend to do a much better job as spouses because that purpose is what brings them together. Like, for instance, I'm a father and I'm a husband. That's my purpose. OK, that's my passion. That's my purpose. That's my responsibility. Everything I do 
is to provide, to protect, to care for, to nurture, or to to set up uh, an opportunity for my family to either thrive or to be happy, to be joyful, and to feel complete, to feel supported. That's my purpose. Every single thing that I do pulls me back to my purpose. Contrarily, a gentleman who doesn't necessarily have that purpose for whatever reason, I don't, you know, maybe he doesn't have the kids. Maybe he has a, an aimless relationship where they need to come back to the center. Well, he doesn't have any motivation to be great. He doesn't have any motivation to be, you know, even loyal sometimes or faithful sometimes. And, you know, again, it, obviously there's some character issues involved too, but if he's not centered, if he's not in touch with who he is and who he's become, if he's gotten cold or callous, and he has a journey that he needs to go on and he's in an aimless relationship, you can see how that lack of purpose aids in him drifting even further from where we would want to be. And so, you know, just as a woman can, uh, uh, men have these same struggles. And so uh, two people who, who haven't added that as a plan to their relationship and two people who haven't come together as a team and decided that we're on a journey Let's make sure that every day we, we, are, we are fighting for a common cause. And, and it's so much more. This is the biggest disservice we do, especially in this country. You know, this is our biggest disservice is that we, we live for our bills. We live for our jobs. And we never live for life. Like, I, there's this Dalai Lama quote. This quote resonates like it, it kind of sets my mood every day. I, and it's more of a feeling for me. But it's, it's just about how we chase the wrong things. It's like he he lives as if he's never going to die and he dies having never really lived. Speaking about having a purpose and, and living your purpose, you know, when I interviewed you for the Women Emerging Summit and you were sharing your wisdom through that, I, I was really fascinated with your own personal life story and how you came to do what you're doing now. And can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was a child who grew up in AA, AA being Alcoholics Anonymous. So my mother, I think she was 27 when she had me. And she was in the thick of an alcohol addiction. And as I grew up, <laughs> I spent most weeknights or, or at least two or three nights a week in an AA meeting in the basement of a church or some building that donated this space. Uh, probably through some charitable organization, you know, but I spent a lot of nights in the basements of of big buildings uh, with a coffee in my hand, <laughs> believe it or not, five years old, drinking coffee with the adults, <laughs> listening to adults get drug counseling and, and Alcoholics Anonymous counseling. Um, my mother was wonderful. She was loving, but she had a lot to overcome, right? Uh, partly because of the toxic relationships that I, I work now to prevent. Now, her started with a rough childhood, right, and the many rough experiences that no child should ever go through. And, and then they, they, her first marriage was as rough as her childhood. And so by the time she had me, she was divorced maybe 10 years or, or you know, five years, and she just was broken, you know, and, and, and she went through a lot for many years. Uh, she would usually get off alcohol for about six months and she'd get back on for six months and off for six months. So we, she, she, she never stopped fighting. My mother is probably the strongest person I've ever known and her, and her resiliency is ridiculous. Like she's experienced every single thing a human should never have experienced, but she still stands and she's still strong and she still loves super hard. 
uh, she hasn't really been tainted by most of those experiences. But, you know, her survival uh, for a while was tough. And growing up in Alcoholics Anonymous, my favorite meetings as a child were the lead meetings. Those were the meetings where an alcoholic with one year or two years or 17 years or four years would stand up and they would give their life story to encourage the alcoholics that were in the crowd who might have taken a drink yesterday or two weeks ago and felt like they would never get there, felt like they would never overcome. The lead meetings were interesting because, you know, I'm not necessarily a biography uh, person now, but as a child, it was more interesting than hearing the chants and the 12 steps that I memorized by heart at that time, you know. So I, I listened to the life stories of, I don't know how many hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. And what I realized was that most of those people encountered everything they encountered and, and were led to the places they were led to, um, starting with the bad relationships, toxic relationships, people who were psychologically damaged and unmanaged and undiagnosed, raising kids or starting relationships that they shouldn't have been starting or raising kids that they shouldn't have been raising. The effects of those toxic relationships led those people to find and seek coping mechanisms. The coping mechanism usually is more damaging or as damaging than the initial trauma. Right. So these people had generally gotten to a place where they didn't know what else to do. They just didn't want to hurt anymore. Well, what what do you do if you're in that position and you're you're potentially into alcohol? You drink a little bit more than you would. Right. You self-medicate, you know, or you find other drugs. You know, my mother wasn't the only person who struggled with alcoholism or drug abuse in our family. And so it was all around. I don't even think I knew very many clean, sober adults as a child. And so it pulled into me a sense of empathy and, and, this, and a deep sense of gratitude, first of all, for who I was. Even as a child, I understood that, you know, I was a little bit different. And I felt like even these meetings and this experience I had was setting me apart for something better, uh, maybe to help these people. And I, and I took a personal responsibility to help people away from those things from a very young age. Before I was old enough for anybody to want to listen to me. <laughs> I wanted to help people and, and, and steer people away from this type of decisions that I heard in those lead meetings where people would say, well, I got this boyfriend when I was 16 and it was all downhill from there. I started going to jail. I started doing crack or, you know, whatever, whatever thing that happened, the, the trigger was generally a toxic relationship with a father or mother or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. So for me, I, I can't change, you know, whose parents or who. But I can definitely at least be the voice that I wish my mother had or someone who would have told her and, and, and gave her information and gave her wisdom and knowledge about certain things before she encountered them. Because sometimes people just need an ear. They just need love. They just need somebody to care and to listen. And when they don't have that, that bottle will listen, right? That blunt will listen. Mm-hmm. That crack will listen. You, you, they feel like they got solace and friendship and love at the end of those the crack pipes and, and at the bottom of those bottles. And, you know, for, for me, I just wanted to do whatever I could to help people have a better life experience. So, you know, of course, my whole angle is relationships, but I felt like the relationships caused 90% of what I heard in those lead meetings. 90% of what I heard in those lead meetings started with toxic relationships. So that's why I lean toward relationships and trying to help people because I'm just trying to be the voice that I wish my mother had before she encountered many of the issues of life that she encountered. Now, my mother ultimately overcame. You know, my childhood wasn't the roughest one in the world. I actually didn't incur much trauma at all because she was so busy, even in her alcoholism, trying to protect me from things that she had been through that I always felt protected. I always felt loved. 
but I was always very anxious and I was always uh, really serious because I was trying to protect her because she'd protect me as long as she was sober. And then I would feel like I had to protect her when she started drinking or she left the house at night, you know? So it made me grow up a lot faster, especially mentally. It put a sense of responsibility on me that you no know, five to eight year old is normally supposed to encounter, but I wouldn't consider it a traumatic experience for me. I still think what my mom was went through was, was traumatic. You know, now my mom is clean and sober. She's thriving, but it took a while. And, you know, I don't think people should have to wait to their 50 or 60 to get to a place to where they're loving life, to where they're enjoying life. I don't think you should have to wait to your, you know, postmenopausal or, or you, you know, lost all your hair and you got a bird's nest and you're walking with a cane before you start enjoying who you are and you're proud of what you are and what you've become. The Bible says, you know, your later days will be greater than your former days. Well, your former days can be okay too if you make decent enough decisions. You can have a decent enough life. You don't have to wait until the end. I didn't. I don't want retirement age to be the age where everybody all of a sudden gets clean. Everybody all of a sudden starts making great decisions and loving who they are and loving, you know, the 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 wisdom and the knowledge that they feel like they possess. I don't want people to always have to speak from experience when dealing with younger people who are going through stuff. You know, sometimes. You can learn from other people's mistakes. You don't have to make your own mistakes every time. And so for me, I'm just trying to stop people from, from making the type of mistakes that I've seen the results from. You know, we, we had people in my family who were on crack heavy, who would disappear for months at a time, who we didn't know if they were alive or dead. And they were, and they, and they were trying to figure out how to escape the same type of traumas my mom was in or, or that she experienced. And so I don't think that the way we take things as humans, sometimes the, the roads we take are always the necessary roads, but without that love, without that encouragement or without the knowledge that, Hey, you know, there's an alternate, there's an alternate route. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's almost like people don't realize that there are alternatives. You know, I, I think about Ruby Payne has a great book called the framework for understanding poverty and I used to work at a Title I school where there was 73% poverty on the wrong side of the tracks. And we had so much domestic violence and drug abuse and child abuse. And I'll never forget one of my first experiences into that mentality. Like you're saying, if people don't know they have an alternative, you know, we, we all have blinders on and sometimes we need someone to guide us and to tell us there is another way. And I remember when I first started working at that school, we were doing this group on dreaming. Like, what do we want to dream for ourselves? What do we want to envision for ourselves? This is with a group of sixth graders, right? Who are like 12 years old. So I'm like, what do you want to be? Or what do you want to have? What do you want to do in 10 years? What do you want life to look like? And this one kid was thinking and he said, you know, when, when I'm in my 20s, I'm going to have my own trailer. And I'm like, that is awesome. But I want you to think even bigger. I want you to think yeah. out of the box. Let's think bigger. And so he, he thinks and he thinks and he says, yeah, double wide. Oh, oh And that wow. just hit me so hard because that's like, that's as big as he could dream at yeah. that time. That's as big as he could see. And so what you're talking about, that essential piece of, helping others to see the potentials and the possibilities that lie within us and then without us, right? Like yeah. outside of us. 
Yeah, the alternatives. Uh, that reminds me of my childhood. I, I think I spoke about this uh, somewhere, and I, I don't. I hadn't told anybody until you know recently. Now I'm doing a lot of interviews, so you know everybody wants to know the origin. But you know, a large part of my childhood, the part the part that I remember, you know, between seven and twelve. Uh, we spent in the projects. Um, now we ultimately moved on to a brand new house and, you know, again, my mom found prosperity later in life, but you know, in the beginning, uh, you know, we, we were in the projects and I remember the night we had to move to the projects because we got evicted for some uh, stuff that wasn't our fault, but we got evicted from our very small one bedroom apartment that three of us were living in, including some family when they were on the fritz. We got evicted and we had to move into a town home in the projects, the Hilltop Homes. And I remember I cried myself to sleep that night at seven, like, okay, because the projects just seemed so scary to me. But I'm a real popular kid. I actually flourished on our block. But I remember thinking as a kid, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get an old car with some giant ass rims. Like that was the goal, like, because the prosperity looked like, a shiny old, basically a $2,000 car with some $5,000 rims because that's what drug dealers do. Drug dealers buy old crap cars. They don't fix the engine. They don't do anything. They just shine it up real nice with a paint job and put some rims on it. And I remember thinking, man, they got money and not realizing that if they live in the projects, they are as broke as we are. They just manage their money poorly enough to prioritize a car over food or provisions or moving out. And, and that used to be prosperity to me. I remember looking at the local weed man thinking, man, that guy got it all because he had girls and he had a, a car with shiny rims. And, you know, it wasn't until I was about 12 that I realized, wait a minute, these people are they're hustling backwards. Like this is the wrong thing to do. Right. You know, and it was because my oldest brother started getting a little prosperity. He got a good job, moved to a better neighborhood and he started hanging out with nicer things. And I was starting to see nicer things through just being around my oldest brother who was becoming more prosperous as I got older. And it made me change my idea of what success was. I started spending more time on the nice side of town and, and seeing that people had real prosperity, nice homes. They cut the grass, you know, great cars, things that they could be proud of that they didn't have to do anything illegal for that. They didn't, you know, spend their whole life fortune on, you know, this material thing because they wanted to look rich instead of actually being rich or, you know what I'm saying? But if you don't get around financial education, if you don't get around opportunity, if you don't see those things visually, if they're not a, a part of your daily experience, you don't know they exist. So for that child, a double wide was probably the most popular guy in the neighborhood, had a double wide, all the girls go over to the double wide because he can fit more girls in there. And he was the man. And so he thought, double wide. One day I can be the double wide guy, right? And I used to think, man, I can be the guy who has a car that breaks down on the highway with the big ass rims, you know? So it happens, man. And it's really important. And that's why I take it so, so personally as a responsibility to just allow people to hear me and hear the examples of, of the different alternatives, the different types of relationship structures, the different type of men that do exist, that are out here, that are looking for women and looking for relationships that are satiating, that are healthy, that are full of love, that are nurturing, that, that they want to go on a journey with their partner and have a common goal, that loyal people do exist. Uh, because people have gotten to a place to where they lost all hope. They don't believe that they can have anything that they want. They don't believe they can be the person or find the person that they want. And, and then they come to me in that type of, that type of lowliness and despair. And, you know, they want pity and I don't do pity very well because I've been through quite a bit. 
Uh, pity is not what you'll get from me. You will get the truth, but you will get an honest presentation of the real possibilities. And the real possibilities are often much greater and much brighter than we like to think they are, especially when we're in a lowly position and we're, we're downtrodden and we don't feel like we can have anything. There's always another way. There's always an alternative road and we always have a chance to do better. And as long as we focus on that and we sharpen our pencil and we draw that picture for ourselves, we can have the lives we want. And we don't have to be 65 or 75 or 85 or on our deathbeds to do it. And that's, that's my whole point in trying to help people. everybody, this is Adrian from Feminist Hot Dog, and I want you to join me and my awesome guests as we put the fun in feminism. It's true. On Feminist Hot Dog, we explore all the ways feminism makes the world a better place, no matter who you are. So come hang out on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Mountain on NoCo FM, and don't forget, love yourself and love your buns. See you on Wednesday. Your support means the world to us. Hi. It's Dr. Natalie Phillips from Connecting a Better World. Everything we do here at NOCO FM is member-supported. From the music we play to our original podcasts and live shows, all of that costs money to produce, and we can't do it without you. Become a member today and invest in the programming you enjoy so we can create more together. Learn more at noco.fm. Thank you for sharing that story. You know, your life journey is so beautiful and you've taken these hard experiences in your life and you've utilized them as your gifts. And I've seen that just shining through you both times that I've had the, the honor and the pleasure of connecting with you. I appreciate that. It's really a joy to see how you've taken those experiences and then now how you're manifesting these wonderful things in your own life and helping to bring others to that same awareness. You know, I'm curious because as you talk about, we can get this knowledge, we can start gaining this wisdom and understanding, and we can start living our lives in this very different way. How can we start giving this message, do you think, to our children, how can we start helping the youth get this message so that somehow this becomes our mantra, this becomes the download, this becomes what kids are gathering, like, oh, this is the way that I want to be in the world. That's a, that's a beautiful question. You know, for me, my, my children are three and five. And so that's my challenge now, especially with my, my older son, as he gets older, I have to insert these things that I've, I've recently learned in adulthood, right? That I should have learned as a child. I should have learned them in elementary school or middle school or high school. And, you know, I had a mustache and a job and a car note before I learned them. You know what I'm saying? I had debt before I learned them. I had issues and, and anxiety before I learned them. I'd, I'd been beaten up at work. I was beaten down by life before I learned them. And, you know, I'm a young man. So, you know, again, that's a mild story. I think I've given myself a very mild experience of any trauma because I've always been aware of the the implications and the, and the, and the destruction that it can cause long term. But for me, I've made sure that even in my son's reading lessons, he's reading 
at things that encourage him. You know, he's five, so he, he can he's probably the best reader in his class. He has his own challenges, but he's the best reader, right? And so we take advantage of that. You know, right now he has a whiteboard. It empowers him. It's a long paragraph, but when his reading lesson comes up, I put empowering messages. I, okay, what does this say? Sound it out. You know, all of your problems have solutions. You can be as great as you want to be as long as you try and you focus and you, you know, whatever, whatever idea or whatever mantra I'm giving him at the time, because it changes. Every day I speak power and light to my son. You know, I tell him he's great. I tell him he's more than enough. I tell him he's good enough right now. I tell him not to, not to compare himself to others. I think that's what I said. I think the board says never compare yourself to others. You are already good enough. You are already enough. All of your problems have solutions. Never compare yourself to others. The greatest person in the world to be is you or, you know, something along those lines. And I'll change that paragraph a hundred times and he'll read a hundred different messages. Every now and then I ask him, who are you? And he'll tell me, I'm a king. I'm brave. I'm courageous. I'm nice. I'm powerful. I'm, I'm smart. I'm intelligent. And it starts from that because the mental... The mental psyche of a child is in full development between four and seven. I've read enough psychology books to know, and I know you know this, but I've just read it a few times, and that was enough for me. That between four and seven, you really have to give a kid the opportunity to see greatness in themselves and, and develop the idea that they are the, the creators of their own uh, fortunes and that they themselves have a power and they have a responsibility to be great because I've, I've watched the young kids and, and young people who haven't been given that message. They have to unlearn everything that they learned when the, the message was replaced with something else. Right now we have an, uh, an Instagram and a, an internet generation, a social media generation who sees the success and power and prestige and glitz and glamour of others but they don't see the struggles because no one shows the struggles. You don't get likes on the struggles, right? You don't get popular on the struggles. You don't get shares on the struggles. So we see the, the end result or the facade of every person who enters our visual stream of social media information. And over time, it teaches us that because we don't have that stuff and, and we're not that person and, we, and those perceptions don't belong to us, that we're not good enough. So as I'm unlearning the things I learned in school that taught me that, oh, I should compare myself to student A because I'm student B and I got a C, right? Or, oh, I'm not as smart as uh, so-and-so who's better at math than me. Or if they had a, an abusive math teacher like me, stand up next to the chalkboard for 45 minutes to humiliate yourself because you don't understand the math problem. That's what I did in, in third grade many days because I suck at math. And, you know, like I had to unlearn many of the things that were almost drilled into me by society. My mother always empowered me, but she was work. She didn't realize what she was up against and trying to empower me, deal with her own struggles. And then I go out into the world and I'm learning that I'm inadequate from other people who have power and who have authority over me. You know, my brothers were amazing. My brothers all took the responsibility of a father. And so, you know, I am who I am because of my mother, but as equally because of my big brothers. My big brothers were, were so much older than me that they were just like three fathers. I really couldn't get away with crap. Um, so I always had something fighting the world when it would tell me that I was insufficient. I was not good enough. I was never going to be nothing. Like I always had somebody battling for me. I, I seen how hard they worked to try to make me something, how hard they worked to try to encourage me. And, and keep me full of self-belief. 
And so that was something that I really never struggled with, even though it was, it was presented to me over and over. I'm gifted in that way is that I always had confidence because I always thought my brothers were cool and they believed in me and they thought I was cool and they used to treat me like one of them. And so I felt like an equal, but I learned so many other toxic things from the school system and, and from life, from people who needed validation themselves that I spent the first 10 years of my adulthood trying to unlearn what I learned when I realized how toxic it was to me. And so for my son, it's, it's so important for me to just train him right the first time. I think the most beautiful thing to come out of this pandemic is at homeschool, right? My, my son is so used to being compared and sometimes unfavorably to the other five-year-olds in his class for this reason or that reason. And so that's why I, I spend so much time trying to, when he gets home, encourage him and tell him who he is because it really make, it makes a difference in him. When he's confident, he performs better. When he feels himself being compared, he underperforms because he would rather just give up. It feels like power. And that's what we do as adults. We give up because it feels like power. It feels like a choice, right? But it's not power. And so I just encourage people to really take power. And that power is in living with an intent and living with a passionate desire to take control over the things that have taken control of you. I'm sure you saw it in my face. I'm trying not to jump out of my skin over here because I'm so pumped up by everything that you're sharing. And it just resonates so strongly with me because I really do feel like we could help change just the course of the world through giving our children those kind of messages mm -hmm. and realizing that it is, it's those first seven years of life that literally our brains are in theta brainwave state, which that's when we take whatever people say around us as the mm -hmm. gospel, as the truth. Yep. And yep. that's how we see ourselves through that lens. Yep. And so it is important. And we also, as you know, we learn through rote memory, which means we learn through repetition. Mm -hmm. And so when something is said over and over and over again, it becomes our truth. But, and like your experience, you know, my experience is in working with people, nobody gets out of childhood unscathed. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, we get to this point in our lives and we do. There's always going to be a certain amount of unlearning mm -hmm. that has to be done. But how powerful to have that base right. grow up from that place if we can start speaking that to our children. I absolutely agree with you that being home, I mean, if we can really look at this pandemic, yeah. take the gifts from it and seize the opportunity that we can be with our kids in this way, mm -hmm. we can start giving them those messages where they can start seeing themselves without comparing themselves. Yeah. That is so powerful. That is yeah. such powerful stuff. I do believe that we are in this age of absolute new awareness and yeah. heightened consciousness where we can choose to take this and make it an opportunity for growth or get lost in the crisis of it. Mm -hmm. And Ab so, yeah, powerful absolutely. message, Kev. Thank you. Thank you. I want to make sure, number one, Kev, that people can get a hold of you. They okay. can find you on YouTube because what a gift you are. And just for anyone out there, I've seen your videos and you're speaking some wisdom. What a gift for folks that you are putting that content out there. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. It's, it's interesting because I like to take my time with videos. So it's a challenge for me because I like to sit with an idea, think about it. I write down my thoughts on it. And then when I, when my spirit stops inspiring me, I put it down. And sometimes it takes me a couple of weeks to write a video just because I'm not attempting to impress you with my intellect. I really want whatever I do to speak to your spirit. And I sit in silence. I try to get in touch with my spirit to make sure that everything I say is inspired by a light instead of my ego. And so my process is really slow. That's why people complain, you don't make enough videos. Well, I'm not trying to be the guy who's just looked at as the smart guy. I really want you to be affected. I want to make an impact. I want to leave a legacy of impacting others and be prolific in my experience here. And so it's a challenge for me because I'm basically just reading questions and answering the questions on the fly. And I'm learning to trust my gifts in that, you know, maybe I'm already, like I said, as I tell my son, you know, you are already good enough. And, you know, we all have this imposter syndrome that we have to move through. You know, we don't want to be a fake. And so we're constantly checking ourselves and criticizing ourselves about whether or not we're qualified or are good enough to say what we say. And I'm realizing uh, after some prompting and, and pushing by a lot of people that, you know, most of the time when I'm speaking off the cuff, it's as impactful to some people as when I've spent hours writing a video. And so for me, it's it's been a challenge. But again, I'm, I'm evolving and I'm trying to use this opportunity, even though I don't really have extra time. It's a great opportunity and a great phase that I can not only increase my, my viewership and my impact and my audience, but I can also increase myself and sharpen my tool, right, which is speaking off the cuff because I'm doing a lot more interviews now. And I've always been able to do it, but I had this block in my mind that if the camera was on and I was talking to a lens and not a person, that I couldn't perform in that way, that my spirit wouldn't be into it. You know what I'm saying? But I'm realizing that my spirit's always with me and it's always uh, connecting. And so we all have a challenge that we can overcome right now. And the YouTube channel is? Kev Hick Talks Guys With Girls. Kev, K-E-V-H-I-C-K-T-A-L-K-S guys with girls, all normal spelling. And I also actually have a podcast for the guys that may be listening called The Fatherhood Village. And we speak to men about manhood and and responsibility and our place in society and in the home and with our families and as fathers. Um, And it's called, again, The Fatherhood Village, all regular spelling, no slang words. You can find us on Instagram or on Apple Podcasts or any other major podcast streaming service. I have a Y Sisterhood uh, group. It's a group where I'm, I'm currently building a course. And so for people who want to participate in that in real time, uh, you can join the Y Sisterhood at YBSlove.com. And um, that, that's for a course being re- built in real time. Of course, when it's finished, I'll, I'll package it up. But right now, for people who just like it in the beta phase, I'm still helping people. We have a private community on Facebook, and we, we make sure we stay connected. And I'm trying to help people navigate their evolutions personally. So it's a lot more directed, and it's a lot more of a blueprint than watching 150-something random videos of mine. You actually get a blueprint to becoming your strongest self and your best self. So that's at the YBSlove.com. Um, and I have a lot. And, and one more, if you just want to skip all of that and you need to talk to me, you want to speak to me on the phone and tell me about your problems or, or get some kind of perspective on what you're going through, whether it's a relationship or life in general, you can actually reach me directly at girltalkwithguys.com. And uh, I do hour-long co- phone consultations and I give email advice. So girltalkwithguys.com, uh, no funny spelling. Uh, you can reach me immediately and you can be in touch with me in, in 24 hours. Kev, 
I, I can't even thank you enough for all the gifts that you bring. You are a light and I am so thankful for our connection and just so thankful that you're sharing all this goodness with the world. I appreciate you. Thank you. And ditto. I've, I've listened to your podcast and, and I think you're doing a great work as well. And I'm, I'm very excited for your future and I'm very excited for what you're doing and for the people who are hearing your voice every day. I think they're getting a lot from you. So many incredible things were discussed during my interview with Kev Hick. I just really felt the importance of the purpose in relationship, whether it's finding our own purpose in this life, things that we're passionate about. And also he talked about the importance of having a common purpose, a common goal as a couple and how important that is that when we're fighting for a common cause, whether it's just about how we want to parent, about the way we want to live our lives, as well as it can be even small things about the vacation we want to take or how we want to plan our backyard. One of the things that also touched me about Kev was the incredible wisdom he gained from his life and his own experience as a young boy going to the AA meetings with his mother and how he realized through that that so many addictions started as ways to deal with bad relationships. And again, I think this goes back to bad relationships with ourselves, not loving ourselves or having a good relationship with ourselves, and it also spreads to our relationship with others. And so part of Kev's work that's beautiful is this thing about helping people that have been triggered in their toxic relationships and are using that as somewhat as an excuse to continue using or to start abusing alcohol or drugs. And I appreciated part of his message that was about sometimes people just need love. They just need an ear. They need care and someone to listen. And so what's really cool is that we can do that for one another. That you don't have to just wait, as he was saying, to the end of your life to love who you are. You can start now and you can start helping others and start helping others to see the bigger picture and the potential within themselves as you're able to discover that within yourself. There's truly so much importance in how we perceive ourselves and how we use words to talk with ourselves and to one another. I love the part he was talking about proclaiming greatness in his children as we start to give our children those messages. I mean, think what we would be like. Just think if you were given the messages that you most needed to hear throughout your life, that you were lovable, that you were enough, that it was okay to make mistakes, that it's safe to fail forward, that you're still worth it. I mean, those are the things that as we give our children those messages or the children around us, those that we care for, those messages, we can help reinforce in them that greatness and that light that's already there that can sometimes get beaten down by life or from messages that we get when we're little from those around us that we take in and then incorporate into our own belief system. There is such a strong message that it starts within each of us. And if we can start doing that inner work, getting silent, going within, doing what it takes to start cultivating a relationship with ourselves, then we're able to give that love and that sense of it's okay to be the one that takes care of yourself. 
And when we truly are able to nurture this, then we can also help others to find that within themselves. And that's really the gift that Kev brings. Kev was able to do a lot of the deep programming within his own mind and really become this beautiful voice of wisdom and love and caring that he is sharing with his listening audience and shared so beautifully with us tonight. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James. This has been a production of NOCO-FM.